today, and um, just a, a super simple sermon, a thought that the Lord kind of stirred in me last night. Um, I was talking with Shannon. I'm usually, I, I'm a, I like to have a, a, a schedule and a calendar. I like my routine. I like to do the same things over and over. Um, and so I kind of have this calendar of an ideal week of how things should go, and I try and line everything up with that. And usually I know, if I don't know already what I'm preaching, I know what I'm preaching several weeks out most of the time, um, but if I don't know what I'm preaching, I usually try and settle it on Monday and by the deadline of Wednesday is what I try and do. Um, it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes God just doesn't give you much, and uh, this was one of those weeks uh, I'll, I try and coordinate with Shannon. She does a lot of the graphics. So whenever the graphic is bad like this, you know that I did it. Um, <laughs> and uh, whenever it's like awesome, you know Shannon did it. So that's like a little insider tip. Uh, for everyone who is here today, you got an insider tip. Nobody else gets that tip. Uh, but so we try and coordinate, and I try and get her, uh, you know, the information beforehand so she can design these really great looks and stuff, and, and we can promote it. Um, and she was asking me last night, she's like, I haven't heard from you yet. And, and I was like, well, I haven't heard from God yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, it's just been one of those weeks where uh, it, it's been, and I spent three or four hours seeking God, and it's like God was not giving me much. So, um, God gave me this last night, and it's literally, I'm going to have to stoop and read some of my handwriting. Um, Acts 16, I want to talk to us today about the path of liberty, the path of liberty. And we're going to focus on one particular story. You may be familiar with it, uh, you may not, and that's Paul and Silas when they're imprisoned. Um, they're put in prison, and then God does a miracle to deliver them. But we're going to read Acts 16, 22 through 24. And um, before we go and read that, I just want to ask the question, have you, have you ever found yourself uh, in a place where you just really, you were tired and sick of it, and uh, maybe it was a place, maybe it was a situation, maybe it was something just going on in your life uh, that you just wanted deliverance. You didn't care how it was done, what it was done. You were just done. You were like, get me out of this. Fix this now. Remove this. Can, can anyone else relate to that? I, I have been there, and I have prayed that prayer. And if you don't get anything else from what I'm going to talk about today, I, I want you to understand this. There's a difference between relief and deliverance. There's a difference between relief and deliverance. Relief is temporary, but deliverance is permanent. And sometimes I wonder if we don't pray for the temporary relief while God is offering us the permanence of deliverance. And so I specifically want to talk about that today. So Acts 16, 22 through 24, uh, they're going to throw this, I'll be reading King James, New King James Version, 
Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Now, I'm starting in the middle of the story. I'll kind of fill out the other stuff that happens. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So here is Paul and Silas, two main characters of what we're going to talk about today. And the backstory is this. They're on their way to morning prayer. Now, morning prayer happened in the morning, roughly around 9 a.m. And on their way, there comes a girl that is possessed by a spirit. And she is possessed by a spirit of, of divination, of for, fortune-telling, future-telling. And uh, she begins to follow them around the city and proclaim these men are men of God. These men are, cho- these men are doing a work for God. They're anointed. They're chosen of God. And so as she goes following them and, and doing this, she's speaking the truth. She's telling exactly the truth. Uh, but as she does that, it's kind of interesting because if you go and read it, it says Paul gets greatly annoyed. And I love that. I love the fact that I can relate to that. Paul gets greatly annoyed. It lets me know and should let you know. Even Paul got annoyed. He got annoyed at some people. He gets annoyed at this girl. And he turns around and he, he says to her, Spirit, come out. And he, he commands the spirit to come out of her, and immediately she is delivered from the spirit that has plagued her. Now, this is a great miracle. It's a great thing. But at the same time, she's under another type of bondage too because she has masters in her life that they are using her and using this spirit that is within her to make money off of her life. And so when Paul gets greatly annoyed and commands the Spirit of the Lord to come out of her, her masters get upset because they see immediately that there's going to be a loss of revenue. Money is not going to be made any longer. Now, before I move on, I just want to back up and mention this. Paul is greatly annoyed, and he commands the Spirit to come out of her. And in our relationship with God, as children of God, I don't think sometimes we fully realize the power we have with our relationship with God to speak some things and them happen. And Paul here gets greatly annoyed and he turns and he commands the spirit to come out of this girl. Now, he, he does a positive thing. But if I'm a child of God and I'm in the same authority and relationship with God that Paul has because God is no respecter of persons, you have the same Holy Spirit I have, then there are things that God will do through us as vessels. We have to be aware sometimes of how we allow our emotions and our feelings and things in our life to be, they must be in control. 
We have to have humility if we're going to walk spirit-led after God. We have to walk uh, in a way that is not like the world. The world trades tit for tat. The world does all of these things. But if you're a child of God and you have authority and relationship with God and you want to be used by God in that way, God has got to trust you that, that you're not going to walk around just saying whatever's on your heart and in your mind. You have to have, as James spoke, some control of the tongue. It's the most unruly member. Amen? So now that, that's not what I came to preach about, but I just felt like I needed to add that in there. So here are her masters. They're upset. No more revenue. No more promise of money. Their, their golden goose, so to speak, has been lost. It's been taken away. And so they're upset. Now, I've heard about missionaries in other countries that have had their lives threatened friend of mine went to a country and because he started taking uh, basically what was business away from a witch doctor, uh, the witch doctor was trying to curse the church and curse them and, and all of these things. Eventually, the witch doctor got the Holy Spirit and prayed through and got baptized in Jesus' name and, and all of these things happened. But that was a real story that, that all of a sudden, somebody's Life is, their lifestyle or whatever is kind of put in jeopardy. And so I, I've learned that if, if you mess with the money in sin, sin's happy to coexist with righteousness. But if you start messing with certain things, I have another friend who pastors in Detroit, and his life has been multiple times been threatened because of drug dealers, because he's getting all of their uh, their addicted people cleaned up whenever they get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, they have no desire for drugs. And so now the drug dealer is like, no, I'm, if you keep doing this, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and so and he's like, well, whatever. You know, this is what I'm here to do. So, um, And I've heard of other, other such things, prostitution, drugs, and, and things like that. Paul and Silas interrupt this process, and they... They have delivered this woman of this afflicting spirit while at the same time interrupting her master's life. And so the masters stir up strife against Paul and Silas. And they say, look at these people. They're, they're Jews. They're teaching things that are not right for us Romans to follow. Uh, and, and they're trying to create all kind of problems for us and the Roman government, the biggest thing for them holding power was to make sure that there were no uprisings, that there were no strife. So it was an easy thing that if I had something against someone, if I decided Layla uh, that she was mean to me and I didn't like her, I could say, you know, Layla, she's trying to stir up stuff. It's going to create problems for you keeping control. And they would say, well, it's easier if we just put Layla in jail. And so that's what happened here. They try to stir up the people against Paul and Silas. And because Paul and Silas uh, become the, the enemy, it's easier to put them in jail and lock them up. And so the people take and they strip them and they beat them. And they beat them across their backs and across their body, I'm sure to the point of near death. And then they drag them to jail 
and they and the, the leaders of the city tell the, the prison guard and say, you put these men, you don't lose them. If they escape, it's going to be on you. You're going to have issues with us if they escape. And so this jailer, he takes them and he moves them all the way into the deepest part of the prison and he fastens their feet. He's not going to, they're not going anywhere. They're going to be sitting in that one spot where they can be found in the inner part of the prison fastened by their feet. And so that's how the day goes. Now, that's a rough day. How many of us have had a rough day this last month? Was your day that rough? Not quite. We're talking about a very, very rough day. And it starts at 9 a.m. or a little before 9 a.m. on the way to prayer. And we're going to find them in Acts 16.25. It says that they are now in this prison cell. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. So at midnight, from 9 a.m. all the way to midnight, at some point, they become back to consciousness. They become free enough that they can pray and sing. And so they start praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners are listening to them. Now, I don't know about you, but what it tells me is that I've not yet had a bad enough day that should stop me from being willing to pray and sing and worship my God. I've had some bad days. I've had some days that were rough. I've had some days where I had some news that I did not want to hear. But I've yet to have a day like Paul and Silas. But they still chose to pray and sing in that prison cell. And the other thing that I noticed is it was not just them praying and singing, but singing, but the prisoners were listening to them. See, now we don't want problems in our life, amen? I don't want any problems. I want a smooth, silky road that I can slide down in life and then get to the end of it and say, well, that was fun. Does anybody else want that? Am I the only one? But let's be honest. The prisoners would not be paying attention if Paul and Silas had not been brutally beaten, thrown into the innermost prison, and then chose themselves to pray and sing to God. People don't pay attention when your life is going easy and you give God glory and praise. That's not when they pay attention. Whenever your life is hard and whenever you've been going through some things and they know because you're wearing the marks on your body and the marks on your life and they look at you and they say, how are they going to deal with this? How are they going to respond to this? It's whenever you choose, that's the moment that I'm going to praise God, that I'm going to pray, that I'm going to worship, that I will not let my peace and my joy be taken from me, that I will not allow whatever has transpired in life to steal from me what God has already given me. I will rejoice in what I am and what I have and be content with whatever place I find myself. Whenever you choose that, that's when everyone starts listening. Your witness is not when everything is smooth. No one looks and says, 
Look how great Sam's life is going. It's so smooth and awesome. Uh, you know, it's only because of his God. The only person that, that says that in all of Scripture, anywhere, is Satan. And Satan says that about Job. He says, Job's life's so great, so smooth, you've blessed him so much, that's why he keeps serving you. But you never see a story in Scripture where it says, you know, their life is so great, it's so blessed, God's doing all of these things in their life, it's all God, it's all God. No, it's whenever there's adversity, when there's struggle, when there's trial, and someone looks and says, look, they're still serving God. Job got the attention of people when he was going through adversity. So your struggles, in some way, are a benefit to you and to the people around you. Now, I know we don't, we don't like to hear that. I mean, who just loves that? Like, that's a revelation you just love to hear, is that my struggles are going to benefit everybody and benefit me. No. But some revelations aren't always... Be careful of the person who says you're going to have a Ferrari. You know, that, that, that's their revelation for you. I want to give you the truth. Those others start listening. See, your witness is never when life is easy. It's when life comes apart. And people start looking and saying, how are they going to respond? Are they going to serve God? Are they going to give up? Are they going to give glory to God? They're going to blame God. And that's, that's the thing is in every adversity, there's an opportunity to choose. Paul and Silas could have chose. Paul could have said, well, God, why did you deliver that girl? Just because I commanded it didn't mean you had to do it. It's because you delivered her that now we're in jail. Consider that. He could have blamed God, but instead... They chose to pray and to worship God. Acts 16, 26. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. God responds to their praise and their worship and their prayer. And he delivers them. Now, for this one story, there are plenty of other stories where God did not do that. So you're not praising and worshiping and praying because you expect that always there's going to be an earthquake and the door is going to swing open. You do it because God is worthy. But God has a tendency that whenever we do that and we just open up and we begin to praise and worship God and we allow God to... To, to move in our life and have freedom to take us through trials and struggles like this where His will is being accomplished, that He responds to our praise and worship and prayer in a mighty way. But God opens all the doors and He looses everyone's chains. Now I have a question for you because I've been thinking about this for a while. Why... Were everyone's chains loosed? Paul and Silas are the only two children of God in there, righteous guys, right? 
for considering this. And our God is such a God of detail. I mean, he's created the whole earth. Consider the detail in that creation. I mean, he is a precision engineer ninja. And he could have went in there and he could have said, Paul and Silas, boop, boop, and your prison cell is open. He could have done it strategically and made it only about delivering them and everyone else could have been stuck in their stocks and fastened to the chains and the doors kept closed and there would have been no doubt God has done this thing. God is the one who walked in here and he opened the prison cell and he delivered just these two guys that claimed to be his children, delivered them. But it didn't happen that way. Everyone's chains were loosed and all of the doors were opened. Can I tell you why I think that it is? That every person was delivered in that place. It's because wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. And the Spirit of the Lord had entered into that place into their prayers and their worship and their praise unto the Lord. Scripture says that he inhabits the praises of his people. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Bring up 2 Corinthians 3 and 17. Now the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And when liberty is around, it doesn't matter who is enchained, it doesn't matter who is bound, liberty, the Spirit of the Lord, has to move in that situation and bring liberty to it. Jesus said this in Luke 4 and 18, He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So if you ever find where Jesus is moving and you just get there, the Spirit of the Lord is liberty. And whatever binds you, whatever holds you, whatever it is in your life that you're dealing with, a broken heart being blind, being oppressed, God is anointed and has anointed the Spirit of the Lord to move in a way that delivers people. Liberty. Every person in that prison was touched by that same Spirit. Liberty let their chains loose. Liberty let the doors swing open. But I have another question for you. How many do you think left that prison and stayed free? We only think about Paul and Silas going free. But if all the doors and all the chains were taken off, there was a lot of prisoners that walked out that night. What happened to those other ones? Do you think that they stayed free? Or do you think they went back to a life that maybe put them in prison in the first place? Now, I'm not saying for all of them because we don't know. We don't know their story. But I would, erring on the side of facts, probably suggest that many of them went right back to doing the same things that put them in that prison cell. 
Because there's a difference between temporary relief and deliverance. Paul and Silas experienced liberty. They experienced deliverance. They knew what it was to be a child of God. And they knew what it would be like to be free and not go right back into the same situation that they were in. And I know we're talking about prison, but I'm, I want to talk at a deeper level. Sometimes some of the things that God is trying to bring liberty into our life over and bring deliverance to us, we are just satisfied with temporary relief instead of having true deliverance. True deliverance means walking out of the prison and never going back to it. It's a change of environment. And so for the drug addict, it means not going back to where drugs are being sold. It means not going back to the people that are around you that are using. And and, and the same thing goes for many other sins that people find themselves in. God is trying to bring liberty to us. There's a difference between just temporary relief and deliverance. Deliverance is walking out and walking away and never going back. Relief is just saying, well, I, I got away this time. But then finding ourselves back in it again later. And God did not come. And here's the sad thing. God did not come in flesh and give such great sacrifice on the cross so that people who claim Christianity could repeatedly go over and over and over into the same sins that create bondage in their life. That's not why He came. And He didn't give us grace to say, well, we have grace and we'll get forgiveness and it's okay. That's not why He came. He came for a higher purpose, for complete liberty and deliverance. And so whatever it is in your life, whatever sin is there that you repent over and that you find yourself tripping back into and going back into, God has liberty and deliverance for you, not just temporary, not just a couple of months, a couple of years, not just a timeline, but He has complete liberty and deliverance through the power of Jesus Christ, through the blood and through the baptism of the Holy Spirit for your life, that you can be free from it. That you can be delivered from your sin, not in your sin. And that you can be more than an overcomer, more than a conqueror. But what I find is too many times we'll pray, God, take this from me. Do this for me. You know, God, if you'll, if you'll get me out of this situation, how many of us, I'll admit, I've prayed that prayer. Let me tell you, I'm going I'm to tell you a testimony in my life. Whenever I came to God, I was raised in a, in a great pastor's home. My dad, my mom, they're wonderful people. My dad's actually, this is exciting, he's going to be coming and preaching to us later this year. Uh, this will be the first time I think he's ever come. And I really look forward to that. He's one of my favorite preachers. Um, but, you know, as a, as a teenager, as a kid, I, I went away. I thought, eh, you know, I don't need that. I don't want that. And I can remember getting to a place in my life from partying, from drugs, from running around, from doing things that I knew 
I should not do, from being selfish and being proud. And I found myself in a place in life where I started praying, God, if you'll just get me out of this, if you'll just deliver me. And I was desperate for God to do it. I can remember that summer, 1999, and I can remember praying that prayer, saying, God, if you'll, if you'll get me out of a situation that I found myself in, I will serve you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll do it. And he did. He delivered me. It was miraculous. And I can remember going in a couple of months, my life changing, drastically changing. And I was trying to separate myself from friends that were not helping me in my cause. And I got a couple of months months down the road serving God and, and trying to live a life according to his scripture, pleasing him. And one of my friends called me. And he invited me to, to go out. He's like, oh, we're not, we're not going to do anything. And these are my friends. I loved them. I still love them. I, I pray for them. And so I went. I was like, all right, I'm not going to do nothing. Let's go. Well, we ended up doing stuff. We did. And I can remember we're sitting in a university parking lot, and we're drinking, and we're just having a good time. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see a police car. And they had snuck up on us. And these guys were very tactical in the approach they took because we're on a parking deck. Car comes up, and then I notice another guy coming from a different direction. And I don't know what they thought, like, that we had because <laughs> they were serious. And I can remember all of this going, going on I thought, man, I just got back into a relationship with God. I'm going to let a ton of people down. I'm going to let my family down. I'm going, to, I'm going to, you know, this is going to be permanent. All of these things. And I remember praying and saying, God, you've got to do something about this. Get this, get this off my record, take, take it away. And, and I was desperate at that point. I was desperate before, but I was really desperate then. And what was it? I, was, I, was, I enjoyed the temporary relief of some things. But all of a sudden, in that moment, I found myself in the place where it was like the Spirit of the Lord said to me, well, if you're going to go back to doing those things, all of the hedges that I've had around you, you didn't realize were there, that I've kept none of this from happening to you up until this point, I'll just take that all off. And we'll see how far you go and get. And I can remember over that, that couple of week period that this drama was playing out, saying, God, if you'll deliver me from this, I will never go back to that again. If you'll, if you'll give me liberty out of this situation, I'll never, ever touch that again. And God did. But it seared in my mind something because I, I begin to realize like the Spirit of God, even if I'm empowered and I'm walking in the Spirit of God, I'm trying to be Spirit-led, I still have choices. I still have a will. I can still do some things. 
And what I found out was that too many times we pray, and what we're really praying for in that moment is temporary relief. We're not praying for deliverance because deliverance walks out in permanency and leaves some stuff behind. And we're willing to take that sacrifice and say, you know what, I'm not going to allow myself to get close to that. And I can remember later in my life, uh, I was in uh, Bible college and we had went, uh, one, of, one of the girls in Bible college, she was a phenomenal singer, and she'd go, it was kind of a deal where we'd take her to these uh, different restaurants that would do karaoke and she would win money all the time. I mean, she was an amazing singer, still is an amazing singer. And I can remember one time being with this group, and we ended up at this place. It was a restaurant, but it was a lot less restaurant-y that particular night. And I remember the feeling that I had in the pit of my stomach where God was kind of starting to remind me of some stuff. Now, I'm sitting there. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just in an environment. But I remember God dealing with me and saying, you really want to allow this environment around you. And I I came to myself and I said, guys, I got to go. And I left. And later I had a friend come to me and say, man, what was the deal? What was the deal? Why would you leave? And I just kind of told him, well, you know, the environment itself, I just felt God was kind of telling me, I've delivered you out of this type of environment. You don't need to be back in it. I'm talking about this because there's a difference between relief and liberty. And relief is a great thing. I mean, how many of us have been sick or had an injury? We just, oh, if I could just get relief. And they give you a pain pill or something. I tore a muscle one time and I just wanted relief. They gave me a pain pill. And I was like, oh, that's great. The pain pill works. But it was temporary because it came back, right? But temporary relief, while it's a beneficial thing and we enjoy it, it's not the same as being delivered. It's not the same as freedom. It's not the same as liberty. And so liberty is the thing that we want. It's the thing God desires for us. It's not just temporary relief of certain things in our life, sins and things that bind us, but liberty. And there's a path to liberty that God provides for every one of us. One man, besides Paul and Silas in that prison, has his life impacted and changed forever and that is the jailer verse 30 or verse 27 tells us the keeper of the prison awaking from sleep seeing the prison doors open supposing the prisoners had fled drew his sword was about to kill himself he knew like if they if they've all ran away i'm dead verse 28 but paul called with a loud voice saying do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Verse 30. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He knew. He knew whatever hit that prison cell, whatever hit that jail cell, that that was liberty, that that was the Spirit of the Lord. It was not just any old earthquake, but it was something that shook that place. What must I do to be saved? So they said, 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Next verse. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all who were in his house. He said, if you'll believe, if you'll believe the word of the Lord, believe what Jesus Christ taught and preached and what the Bible, what the word of God says, if you'll believe and be obedient, you'll be saved. Verse 33, he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized, were baptized. Now, what I want to draw your attention to, he said, what must I do? And they said, you've got to believe. Now, if you believe something that the Lord has said, it means that you're going to act in accordance with what he has directed you to do. And so he was baptized immediately. Now, I know a lot of people say baptism doesn't matter. Baptism's not a thing. Baptism's just a work. Let me tell you now, you can find nowhere in Scripture after the New Testament church when Jesus Christ is resurrected and in Mark 16, 16, he said, everyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. There is not a single example in Scripture where they were not baptized in Jesus' name. There's none, not a single one. So baptism is absolutely a part of God's plan and path for liberty in our lives. And there's so much there that I could go into, we're going to go into in life group, talking about baptism and what it does in our life. But listen, if you have not been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you, pray about it, seek God for it, and ask Him, do I need to get baptized? I'm telling you, it works something in your life beyond just getting in bath water, beyond taking a shower. It's just water. There's no miracle in the water. The miracle is in the name, and the miracle is in the faith and belief and the obedience. That's where the miracle is at. And it's absolutely a part of God's plan for every one of us. And they said, if you'll believe on Jesus Christ, believe what he said, believe on the word of the Lord. And his word was, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Now notice, Jesus Christ tied together baptism and salvation. So the inverse of that will be those who believe and are not baptized. What does that mean for them? It leaves a question there. But for the one who believes and is baptized, we know what's going to happen. So I want to encourage you, get baptized. His family all were baptized. Everywhere you look in Scripture, every person who believed was baptized. And Jesus' message Mark 16, 16 lines up exactly with what the apostles taught and preached. If we go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, it's another example where someone said, what shall we do? Verse 38, Peter says to them, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. Now remember what I said back in 2 Corinthians, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. 
It's that liberty, it's that deliverance. If you've not experienced the baptism or the gift of the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you to seek for it because that's where liberty is at. That's where all of the promises of God are fulfilled from His Word. It's in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, For the promise is to you, to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. What promise? promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of what? Liberty, the promise of deliverance, the promise of the power that helps us to overcome, the promise of all of the things that God is trying to fulfill in our lives through His Word. I want to encourage you. There's a path to liberty, and that path is through the Spirit and the promises of God. And He said, those who believe, and are baptized, shall be saved. And Peter said, those who repent, believe, and are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, they shall receive the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because it's a promise. Now, do you believe God and His promises? How many of you experienced? Here, This is the amazing thing. You stand with me. We're going to wrap up and, and we're going to take a moment let the Spirit of God speak to us and minister. This is the amazing thing that I find working with every person. Is that God's promise of deliverance, of liberty, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, of miracles, they're rarely the first thing that someone experiences of God fulfilling his promises. How many of us can agree with that? You say, you know what? I, I prayed before I ever received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I asked God to do something and he did it. I can agree. I've experienced that. I know what that is. God is trying to lead every one of us Bible calls it perfection, sanctification, the process of being perfected to be like Him. In that process, that path of liberty, at some point we have to surrender everything to God. You know, there are things in my life right now. Let me back up right real quick. Jesus said to His disciples, He said, there are things in the kingdom that you don't need to know yet because you're not ready. And I have found with God, there are some things that when I get to a certain place in my life, God starts dealing with me about something else. And he starts saying, okay, what, what about this? You need to work on this. Why? Is it because I'm so bad and so far from him? No. It's because he wants the best and greatest things for me in this life. And every time that I get closer to God, and I enjoy that closeness to Him, there's something else that is brought up in my life that He just says, you don't need that. I, I'm more than enough. If you'll let that go, I've got a blessing for you. I've got more for you. And at this point in my relationship with God, I don't desire hardly anything 
There are things that I enjoy. There are things that I like in this world. But I'd much rather have God. I'd much rather have his promises. I'd much rather have the things that he wants for me to have. And I I see so much in the Bible and in Scripture that when we look around and we look at Christianity as a whole, we say, why is that missing? Has anybody ever asked that question? Why is that missing? It's because we're not pursuing the path that God wants us to walk down. The enemy seeks to wear out the saints. Guess what? How he's wearing us out? Distraction. We have opportunity unbelievable in this country. Amen. We've got so many things, so many options. I'm going to have to make a choice when we leave here. Where are we going to go eat? Because there's some good restaurants around. We've got plenty of options. Have you ever sat down at a menu in a restaurant and they've got 10 pages? You're like, what do I eat? What do I want? And you're flipping through. You can't decide. And the lady, the waitress or the waiter comes up and you say, well, what's the, what's the best thing here? Oh, man, this is so good. This is so good. This is so good. Gives you all these options and you're just like, I don't know what I want. Because you've got too many options. You're distracted by what all's on the menu instead of being focused on the fact that you're hungry. And so what do you do? You order the coffee and cheesecake. You may not, but I would. And what just happened? Temporary relief. But it's not good food to sustain me for a whole day couple hours I'm going to feel sick sugar is going to spike I'm going to be tired I'm going to drink another coffee and the cycle continues God's trying to lead us down a path that he has more for every one of us look at the person next to you say he's got more for you let's let the spirit of the Lord speak to us for just a moment She's going to begin to sing.